When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind on a Sunday night. Brent Hubs, glad to have you along with us. We're going to do this one a little bit different than uh, we have done some others. Um, uh, Eric Kane is covering baseball, so uh, he's got full baseball coverage for you. He may join us a little bit here uh, uh, later uh, as Tennessee wraps up things in Greenville today, taking on Virginia Tech in the Hokey Smoky uh, fall classic or whatever we're calling that thing up there for the scrimmage. Tennessee will have another one in Nashville coming up. Grant Ramey will join me uh, at the bottom of the hour to talk some Tennessee basketball, obviously a lot of Tennessee football, but for the first, for the most part tonight, this is going to be your show. This is your chance to, to talk, talk, comment. We're going to talk about it. Um, I'm going to answer as many questions as I can. We're going to get your comments up there and we're just going to kind of uh, flush, if you will, so to speak, to, to try to, um, figure out and make uh, heads or tails of what happened yesterday uh, as Tennessee had a 20 to seven lead in Tuscaloosa at the half. And obviously everybody knows what happened there with uh, whitewashing in the second half, 27 to nothing. So uh, line those questions and comments up. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. Again, a little bit different than we've done it in the past. Um, just because I felt like tonight you guys Needed to talk, needed to, to vent, and, and needed to have conversation. So, again, Grant Ramey going to join us in just a little bit. Uh, you're stuck with me here for a little while, but uh, jump on in here, and I will answer as many of them as I can for you because um, I know you got a lot on your mind about this uh, football game and about this football team. And, of course, we got plenty of coverage up at VolQuest right now uh, with the uh, 10 things I think I've learned up. And Eric had his three things up. Grant's got all the snap counts up. We had the day after up this morning. So, Plenty of things, so uh, get your friends, get your coffee, and jump on in here, and uh, let's talk about it here tonight on the Rocky Top Rewind. So, uh, as always, the Rocky Top Rewind is brought to you by um, our, our good friends at uh, Spivey King and Spivey. want to be sure and give a shout-out to them and tell you, uh, tell them thank you for their continued support of AllQuest and, um, and and all they do for us. And uh, be, here, be sure and hit like and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Be sure and check us out at ballquest.com. Uh, all that helps us out. All that's great for the site. So uh, here we go. Let's jump into them, all right? And so we got plenty of them here to get into. We'll start with Donovan. Uh, Donovan's got a couple here on the Super Chat. We're going to get to both of those. Uh, Eric um, says, you have not second-guessed or third-guessed this. You have first-guessed this. Why don't they get under center on fourth and one, three of 13 on fourth downs this year? Uh, why doesn't anybody in college football get under center? I think that's the million-dollar question. Uh, I don't think you have to do the Eagles, uh, you know, push that you that that they're doing right now. I know some teams have tried that in the NFL. Not everybody can execute it the way the Eagles do. Uh, but you got a, a you got a 245-pound quarterback. Um, you've run that basically one time this year where you put a big body behind him and shoved him forward. You scored a touchdown against Virginia in doing that. Um, I don't understand at all levels, uh, high school, 
uh, college, why, why, and obviously it's more popular than the NFL than it is anywhere else right now. Why teams don't do that? Uh, it makes no sense, Donovan. I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, and again, and I've said this too, if you're going to be Tennessee and you're going to stay in the gun and you're going to go um, with that formation, stay spread. Because the biggest thing you do to give yourself an advantage in the run game is to empty the box, to have a light box. It's easier to run when there's six in the box. How do you get six in the box? You spread everybody out 53 yards wide from sideline to sideline. When you bring everybody in there, and if you go back and look at the two um, short yardage plays Tennessee had against Alabama yesterday, when you bring everybody in and shrink that formation down, you end up with nine in the box. Um you know, and, and it's it's you got to be perfect when you do that. And uh, you don't have enough people to block the way you can. Tennessee had a third and one early in the game. They stayed wide and you ended up with with a hat on a hat. Um, and basically the running back didn't have to make anybody miss as long as you went a stalemate there. You create enough create enough of a crease for a one yard gain. So um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make a lot of sense why nobody – it's not just a Josh Heupel thing. This is not a Tennessee-only thing. Everybody in the country is this way right now. And uh, I don't get why you have running backs at a flat-footed standing start five yards behind the ball when you need six inches. And it seems like not a lot of people have a good answer for it, Donovan. Um, Good question. Let's get your other one up here too. Um, Brent, you brought this up all year on stock up and stock down about red zone offense. It's terrible. I mean, 21 nothing would have been big instead of 13 nothing. Absolutely. Got to finish in the red zone, struggling to run in the red zone. Um, I, I thought it was interesting when I, I pulled up the stats from the first three SEC games last year. Tennessee was in the red zone 16 times. They've been in the red zone 16 times this year. It's the same number of times they've been in the red zone, uh, but the scoring production is drastically different in terms of number of touchdowns. Tennessee just 6 of 16 in the red zone in SEC play this year. That's not going to get it done. Um, Tennessee's going to have to get creative in the red zone. Now, I think Joe Milton's legs can help a little bit. Uh, that was a nice wrinkle, but you got to complete some stuff, and you're going to have to run more rub routes. Uh, you're going to have to throw the football more. I don't think you're just going to be able to line it and run it up in the red zone uh, effectively. But Tennessee has to finish in the red zone if they're going to beat teams down the stretch. Um, that includes this week going to Lexington, Kentucky. You get in the red zone, you have to finish. This offense – is unlike last year's offense. We knew it would be, uh, and, and to a great degree. And, and the biggest difference is the splash plays. Tennessee doesn't have, and it's not just Joe. In fact, it's probably not as much Joe as it is at the receivers. Tennessee's receivers don't do what Jalen Hyatt did. Uh, they don't. They don't get that separation, and they don't get those that runaway stuff that you got a year ago. Um, and, and I thought Tennessee's receivers got fit out physical in the second half. Now I thought they got tugged, wrestled, grabbed, pulled, and all those things. That happened in this league. And, and again, I don't think we know what, what pass interference is in college football anymore with the inconsistencies. But but Tennessee's receivers are going to have to play more physical. You do have to play faster in the red zone. Everything happens quicker. The windows are tighter. Um, they missed a golden opportunity on the touchdown throw to Jacob Warren. That was a well-designed play there. Uh, they made a nice one to, to McCollin Castles on, on at the end of the first half. Tennessee needs to run it a little bit better in the red zone, and they're going to have to get creative with some red zone stuff moving forward to finish out this year in the red zone to be better than they've been. So, Donovan, we appreciate it. Here we go. Let's go. Trenton Linville, uh, why don't we run more slant routes to the middle? With the wide splits and the safeties playing deep, there's usually a huge gap where the slant would be wide open. I think part of that is are you getting man or are you getting zone? 
I think they've tried to run a couple of slants this year, and Joe got baited into that and threw an interception uh, at times. Um, but other times, the slants are open. They hit a couple of them yesterday. When you get that, I think you got to throw more of them. They threw, gosh, what, four in the second half against South Carolina. It's probably the best ball Joe threw in that game against South Carolina. It was just kind of the standing flat foot um, slant. So when you get the right coverage that you're looking for there and somebody's not dropping – um, you know, not disguising man and dropping somebody into zone. Uh, I think you, I think you have to continue to throw that. You got to catch the ball in the middle. You had Dante Thornton on a slant yesterday, drop the ball. Um, so you, you gotta, you, you know, that's where you miss a bigger receiver, a taller guy. I think Brew can run those slants. Obviously he's not coming back. They've got to get Nimrod, um, going. Um, he's got to play more physical than he played yesterday. It's a little bit hard for Squirrel on some of those slants because of his size in there. But I do think they can run some some more slants. And Joe gave you some confidence with the way he threw the ball in the first half yesterday. He didn't throw it bad in the second half. I just didn't think he had a whole lot of receivers open. The question with Joe is can he back that up with another one, um, you know, back-to-back good games and, and continue to be a more consistent. You know, this is the same guy who completed 50% of his balls at 100 yards against Texas A&M. He was much improved. Credit to him for going to work and, and putting himself fundamentally in a better situation. His fundamentals were better. Feet were, footwork was better yesterday. Um, so that helps. Um, but for, for Joe, you got to back that up with another week. But, yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at getting guys the ball uh, in space. But this is just a different team, uh, and there's no doubt about that. And Tennessee's got to adjust accordingly to it. Um, Michael, Phantom Fair Catch, Iowa got screwed too. Um, the, fa- the the fair catch deal is is a bizarre thing. Um, I thought that was D. Williams that they were calling. And Josh Eiple saying afterwards it was not. It was an up back. I think it's Jeremiah T. Lander. Uh, I've tried to find it. I don't have an all 22 copy, but in talking to some people today, uh, T. Lander was trying to point out that it was a sky kick and where the ball was to to Cam Seldon and, and to the back the guys back behind him. So it's to my understanding he pointed that it was up. Now, I don't know how high he pointed, but it states, you know, in the rules, you're supposed to wave your hand and make a clear indication uh, of a fair catch. Um, that's clearly not the rule that that people are calling right now. I'm not sure what the Iowa guy was doing was kind of swinging his arm, but that was not a fair catch signal that he made. Um, that's a tough call. And um, that call's being made. The one yesterday in the Tennessee game was made about 50 yards away from wherever Jeremiah T. Lander was. That's a, that's a tough one. And uh, I think that's a rule that's got to be looked at. You've got to get more clarity on that. Make sure everybody understands. Make sure your um, all your return guys, everybody on special teams, understands what they're going to call and what they're not going to call. Um, I think you got to define that on the rules committee. If if it's truly you got to make a signal, you got to make a hand signal. Um, then that's nobody did that in either game in either one of these particular plays. So why are we suddenly calling it differently? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think that's a question that needs to be addressed. Unfortunately, there's no transparency with officials. There's no statement released from the officials on plays or anything like that. There's no pool reporter asking officiating questions after the game, and we'll never hear any more about it. Josh Heupel, and not just Josh Heupel, I'm sure Nick Saban will turn in some plays, and Lane Kiffin will turn in plays, and everybody in the league will turn in plays, and uh, they'll get some kind of comment back or whatever, but we'll never hear anything publicly about what's being done with that. But um, 
That that's that we've not seen that one in college football, the phantom fair catch signal, but that one showed up in two big ways yesterday. It was a huge play in the Tennessee game, given the field position that Tennessee was put in. And obviously it cost Iowa the football game. So uh, two really difficult plays. And I think something that officials should address, but who knows if we'll ever get an address from anybody about that. Um, Tony says, I like coach Heupel, but punt the dang ball. He's hurt his team. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to play field position, and I wrote that. I think you got to play field position more than you did yesterday. Um, I'm not opposed to going for it on fourth down, but I think when you've got a lead on the road in the second half, your defense is playing pretty well. I know they've just given up a score, but that was more because they weren't ready to start the second half. I think you could settle in. They just held Alabama to a field goal, um, trying to get their footing under them. I, I don't think you put them back in that bad situation there. So um, I, I just – I don't – they got away with the first one, and it should have been a lesson that you got away with it uh, because the defense bailed you out with an interception. But um, the second one, I mean, it, play the game for 60 minutes. Just just keep playing the game, play field position, and, and see what happens there. I, I don't disagree with you, Tony. I think you got to punt the football there, and I think Josh Heupel has to look at that and self-scout himself. And I thought, you know, he could have tried a field goal in the A&M game on the fourth and seven and chose not to. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I thought, you know, that was a lesson. I thought it was a big win for Tennessee because of the style in which they won. Josh Heupel has got to continue to grow and his staff has to continue to grow on the offensive side of the ball to win games like that, because you're not playing in a league where it's going to be 48, 45 every week. Last guy has the ball. There's some defense played in this league and you're not always going to outscore everybody. So I, I think that's one that, to, you know, Josh Heupel certainly got to learn from moving forward. All right, Rick Bowman, can Plowman talk to someone about the officials in the game? We have no chance to win if the other team only gets called for one penalty after holding the entire game. It should be no surprise to anybody that holding has been – that's been a topic with Alabama for a long time. They don't seem to get a lot of holding calls against them. I'm not surprised that Tennessee got held. you got to know that going in. Um, you know, I don't know that Dondi Plowman's going to get involved with officiating right now. Uh, we'll see what that conversation takes place. And, and let me say this, too. Uh, officiating, this is not just – there's concern – there's been concern in this league um, all year long about officiating. There's concern in college football about officiating. That concern needs to be ramped up. Um, and, and, look, it's there's always going to be missed calls, okay? There's going to be missed holds. I know there's photos out there of Tennessee holding a couple times. They absolutely held yesterday. Sure they did. They got called for a couple of holds. Alabama held yesterday. I mean, that that's part of it. The thing that has to be looked at, in in my opinion, is just some of the some of the inconsistencies on the blatant stuff. Holding in the line of scrimmage has been going on since football started, but now we don't know what pass interference is. Um, the the fair catch deal um, that doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, holding downfield on a pass play. I mean, I, I you know happened a couple of different times. I thought it happened the previous week in the Texas A&M game. I thought there was a couple of different occasions where you should have been called for pass interference. Um, Gabe Judy Lally got called for one. I didn't think he did anything wrong there. That's that, it's hard to teach if you don't know what the penalty is or isn't. It's a penalty this play. It's a penalty that not, you know, it's not a penalty the next play. And I'm not talking about Tennessee and Alabama here. I'm talking about college football in general. I mean, the egregious, just horrific call in the fourth quarter of the Washington-Arizona State game was just terrible. And it was terrible because 
the official with the best view threw the flag on what he saw, which was a hold. The official who was blocked and shielded by the receiver's back and couldn't see the hold on the front side of the receiver was overruled the guy who saw the play. The back judge should have never allowed himself to get overruled there. And and, and the side judge should have said, hey, I, I couldn't see. I didn't have a good vantage point and a good view there. When you saw the replay multiple times, it was a clear hold. It wasn't close. And um, that's an issue. And that's a concern. And that has to be addressed in college football across the board. It's not just eight penalties against Tennessee yesterday and only one against Alabama. It, it is it is officiating across the board in college football that is a real problem. And part of the problem is college football doesn't have a great leader right now. Um, no one's kind of running college football. It's into each individual conference. And um, there's just not a lot of transparency. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of, of accountability because of that lack of transparency. And, and that 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 makes it really tough. And, and that makes it a hard pill to swallow uh, for fans out there. If you're on the winning side, you don't think about it. You know, I mean, Tennessee got away with two or three last week against Texas A&M. Nothing super bad, but that, I mean, there was a late face mask penalty that the, the officials clearly missed. Um, so human, the human part happens. Um, the mistakes happen there. It's just some of these just in open space mistakes are, are the head scratchers and the inconsistency. What's a penalty one series on pass interference is not a penalty the next series for whatever reason. Uh, and, and that's the part John, John mentions this in his, um, will refs ever be professional instead of a part-time guy? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and that, I think if you ever get to that point, he also said way too many inconsistencies, which is what I was just talking about. I think part of the deal with the officials is to, to, to be full-time guys and to, to, for that to be your job, like it is in the NFL. And I think an average NFL official salary is about $200,000 a year. You're not paying that many officials across the board that, but, you know, in the power five world, you've got enough money to pay for officials. Um, and you've got enough money, you know, the sec can afford to pay officials more money and they get a better caliber of official, uh, to get more consistency. But again, you, you got to hold accountability there. Um, and, and that's the thing, maybe there is accountability, but they, they have protected them and there's no transparency that the result of it is all the grassy knoll conspiracies the conspiracies that, you know, this team gets an advantage because it, it's it's better, they have a better chance to get in the playoff in that conference. You don't think they're talking about that in the Pac-12 today with Arizona State? Sure they are. Um, the Tennessee fans not thinking that way about the game last night? Sure they are. And, and there's no reason, there's no way to prove it, and I'm not saying it's true, but because you never discuss anything in officiating and, and it's always behind the curtain, it allows those conversations to take place and those debates to take place out there. I don't think we're going to see, John, that that they're going to go to full-time officials where that's their full-time job and that's all they do. Um, but again, we'll see how this is addressed because I, I this is about as frustrated as I've seen coaches and heard of coaches around the league uh, w- with the officiating. But because not just because they missed a penalty in their game. It's just, it's hard to tell your kids what a penalty is and what a penalty isn't if it seems to change quite a bit. And I think that's the biggest inconsistency um, to to this point. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. Let's get a couple more in here before we get to a break here. Um, We'll go to Michael Palmer. 
Uh, says one poor play calling in the second half. The fourth down plays were just trying to be too cute. Uh, Joe probably actually got the first one, but you never get the correct spot at Alabama. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and we talked about the fourth down plays a little bit earlier. I, I don't think you go for it there. I, I just think you kick it. I don't know about poor play calling in the second half. Minnesota Vol mentioned this on the general's quarters. The, the Tennessee, when they were backed up on third and seven, ran the ball there. Looked like they give up on that drive. And maybe you could wonder about that one. Um, I don't think the receivers did a good job getting open in the second half. I, I thought Alabama clamped down. Um, and I thought they really got into Tennessee's grill, so to speak, and got more physical with them. And I thought Tennessee had a hard time dealing with that. And that's something that Tennessee is going to have to deal with moving forward. They clearly miss Brew McCoy and his physicality. But Chaz Nimrod, Caleb Webb, those guys got to understand, man, they're, they're going to ride you out of bounds. I mean, they're going to get physical with you. You're not going to get clean releases at, at the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be a challenge uh, for, for this team moving forward. Because I, I wonder if a lot of teams are going to play man and, and see if you can – See if you can win. Now, you can win on some of those switch routes, which is what they did on the squirrel white uh, touchdown, uh, but it's hard to win on that play every time. You know, um, they're going to have to win some physical one on one matchups and the slants and some of the stuff when you get that man coverage. Tennessee's got to do a, a better job of um, being more physical. I didn't think they were as, as good in the second half. That's why you didn't get those comebacks. That's why you didn't get some of those things. Um, that, that they found themselves in the first half with um, and, and had success doing that in the first half. So we'll see. Um, all right, we got them lined up here. We got we got plenty more questions. Ben, we're going to get to yours. And um, Michael, we're going to get some of your more que- some of your questions as, as well. Uh, Kelly's got some in there. We're going to get plenty of these questions coming up uh, here as we continue on the Rocky Top Rerun. Remember, Grant Ramey's going to join me at the bottom of the hour to talk about things. But we're going to take as many of these as we can take for you guys tonight and continue to jump on in here and throw them at me. And I'll answer them to the best of my ability. And we'll just kind of talk about it tonight. It's just pull up a chair, if you will, and uh, we'll just talk about it. Kind of get it off our chest. A little therapy action tonight here on the Rocky Top Rewind. We got more of your questions, more answers coming up right here in just a minute on the Rocky Top Rewind. Brought to you by our good friends at Spivey King and Spivey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
All right, welcome back in to the Rocky Top Rewind, brought to our good friends by Spivey King and Spivey. We certainly thank them for uh, all they do for us at Fall Quest and their support of the Rocky Top Rewind each and every Sunday night. I'm Brent Hubs. Eric Kane's covering some baseball. He's got that all that coverage for you at Fall Quest right now. Um, Grant Raymond's going to join me at the bottom of the hour, but we're just taking your questions, taking your comments tonight. We're diving into them and, and talking about them as much as we can. Uh, Yopper Vols fanatic, fourth and inches, and we go shotgun. Yopper, if you've been watching college football for the last five to seven years, everybody goes shotgun. Nobody goes under center. Um, I don't know why, but it's uh, offensive coordinators don't believe in going to it. it and again, I'll say this. If you're going to stay in the gun, stay spread out. You know, empty that box out. Don't bring that tight formation in there and stay in the shotgun because it just brings so many people in the box that you don't have the numbers win that, that you should have in there that gives you a lot of offensive success. I will say on, on the one, um, the first one, it looked like Tennessee was trying to run a shovel pass there. Uh, when you watch it on rewind, it looks like Jacob Warren is coming across the formation after the ball snap and a little bit of a trail behind the quarterback to try to run a shovel pass. But uh, Alabama's defensive end was untouched and got on Joe Milton in a hurry and I don't know that it was executed the right way, but it certainly looked like they were trying to run a shuffle pass there. At least that was kind of the flow of that play with what Jacob Warden was doing at the tight end position there. All right, Ben Hall wants to know, at this point, pass interference has to be something that's reviewable. The amount of times we were held in the red zone or attempting to do attempting to get to uh, Milrow is, is astounding. Again, Alabama doesn't get called for a lot of holds. Uh, there's always holding in the line of scrimmage. Tennessee held multiple times, uh, didn't get called. I mean, get that's part of it. Um, it's, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's the way it is. It's the human part. At some point, officials aren't going to call a holding every play. It's one of those things you can call it every play. Um, as for pass interference as a reviewable play, man, you're going to review every pass if that's what you do. I mean, really are, and, and and they're trying to speed the game up as it is now. I don't think you'll ever see that. Um, I really don't. Um, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I just don't think that, I mean, they're trying to speed the game up, not slow it down. I mean, how many stoppages of play are you going to have uh, for pass interference? Now, um, you know, could you do something where you actually have a coach's challenge and you eliminate um, the buzz down from the top, it has to be a coach electing to do that. And a coach, you know, wants to use a challenge flag like the NFL. I mean, maybe, uh, I just don't think you're going to see pass interference as a reviewable play because of the number of passes that take place in the course of the game. Um, we'll go back to Michael here. The coaches simply cannot get this team to take the fight to any opponent for 60 minutes. Not going to win consistently. If you can't focus the whole game. Uh, Tennessee was bad to start the second half. Um, there's no doubt about that. When you look at the two-play scoring drive, Tennessee was flat to start the second half. Bad quarter at Florida cost you a win down there. Bad quarter at Alabama uh, cost you an opportunity to potentially win down there. Tennessee's got to be better uh, for 60 minutes across the board from coaching to players, execution. Um, they cannot be flat coming out of the locker room to start the second half, all those things. Um, I'm sure have been discussed in the building today over there as Tennessee tries to move forward. Um, let's go to Michael here. Joe throws at the receivers. Hendon throws to, through to the receivers. You know, Michael, I thought I thought Joe played pretty well yesterday. Uh, I really did. I didn't think he was particularly late with the ball. I thought he was more on time. I thought he threw, um, 
you know, a couple balls were behind a little bit. He doesn't lead guys necessarily as much as, as Hendon did. Uh, but but I thought Joe played well enough yesterday to give Tennessee a chance to win the football game. Joe Milton's not Hendon Hooker, okay? And, and you know, we kind of got to the point where we act like Hendon's ne- ne- Hendon never missed a throw when he was at Tennessee. Um, he had his mistakes. You know, anytime Joe makes a mistake, the answer is, well, he's not Hendon Hooker. And, and he's not. Uh, he's not going to play that way. He's not going to be as productive. He doesn't have the same weapons to throw to at the receiver spot uh, as Hendon had the last couple of years. Um, and so, I mean, he's different and Tennessee has to coach differently. Accordingly, they got to call a game differently. This team is going to have to drive the football more. Uh, they're not going to be able to get a bunch of those one play touchdowns, which will be a key next week in this game against Kentucky, because Tennessee has big played Kentucky to death for two years. Can they win a game driving the length of the field? Um, you know, in a shorter possession type game, that, that's going to be a challenge. This team has to adjust to that. The play calling has to adjust to that as well. Michael says, uh, can't see this team beating Kentucky and Missouri on the road. Maybe they can luck up and get one. I think the challenge for this team is to put yesterday behind them and move forward um, as quickly as they can and, and focus on Kentucky. Kentucky is uh, coming off an open date. They should be fresh. Tennessee's going to have to stop the run. Kentucky has struggled to pass the football. Tennessee's going to have to make Kentucky um, put it on the arms uh, of Leary on third down, on the arm of Leary on third down, on third and long. That means you got to win early downs in the run game. Tennessee did a good job of that in the first half against Alabama. They did a poor job of that in the second half against Alabama. Alabama's first four plays, first four first down plays, excuse me, to start the second half were for 15 yards plus. That's just, you can't do that. Uh, Tennessee's got to be better on early downs than they were in the second half. They got to play on early downs like they did uh, in the first half. Uh, that was a huge, huge flip in the game. When you look at what Tennessee did in the first half, uh, offensively on first down, seven yards of play. In the second half, in, in the third quarter, they didn't average anything. It ended up being a, a zero for the limited number of first down snaps. Alabama in the second half averaged 12 yards of first down play. That was the difference. That, you know, that was the defensive difference in the game. Everybody said, what was the difference? Well, Alabama had four yards of first down play in the first half, so they're in second and six, you know, or, or second and seven most of the time. And, and then, you know, in the second half, they were in another first down. Um, they were just chunking Tennessee on first down. So that's something that that has to get done. Um, ben Hall wants to know, is there any truth to the lead official being from Tuscaloosa? I have no idea. I know those rumors are out there. I've not done a search to know anything. I can't imagine that would be the case. Uh, that makes no sense. I think that the SEC is smarter than that. So I don't think that uh, you would see that or, or do any, you know, have anything like that happen. All right, let's welcome in uh, now. He's going to help me field a few questions here. <laughs> he is Grant Ramey. He is the superstar of VolQuest.com. He joins us here. False. Um, what a road, what a road travel you had last night to get back. That was a lot of fun, I know. But um, was, uh, interesting deal, Grant. When you when you talk about, and we're going to dive back into questions here in a minute because I knew there'd be a lot of people with a lot of things. But interesting when you kind of sit back and sort of review this game for for the wholeness of it, not just for the officiating, not just for the third quarter, but the entirety of the game. Grant, what do you make of what you saw from Tennessee yesterday? Uh, this Tennessee team has to find a way to avoid these disastrous stretches. Uh, we saw it in the second quarter at Florida. 
saw it in the second, third quarter, second half yesterday at Alabama. I mean, that team that showed up in the first half at Alabama could beat a lot of really good football teams. And that team that showed up in the second half at Alabama could lose to UConn in a couple of weeks at home on homecoming. I mean, that's the frustration, I think, if you're a Tennessee fan trying to watch this team and figure out who they are uh, and what they're going to be consistently. I mean, they've lived on the run game. They've lived on the last couple of weeks on really good defense. The run game kind of went away a little bit at Alabama. That was disappointing after what they did against A&M. I know everybody's mad about officiating, but I feel like Tennessee's got to worry about Tennessee's own problems and they got to figure out the way to sustain drives offensively. Um, when it's, you know, you can't keep going quick three and outs in those disastrous moments where the momentum's starting to flip, like we saw at Florida, like we saw yesterday at Alabama. They got to find a way, like you're talking about Kentucky, big playing them to death the last couple of years. They got to find a way to sustain drives, control the football, find some consistency in the passing game. The run game's going to have to be there at Kentucky, like it has been just about every game, but they're going to have to find a way to do something consistently. And it just feels like when they are throwing the football, and it's not all on Joe, it's on some of these receivers as well, that they just don't do anything really consistently. You just never know what you're going to get from play to play in the past game, and that's just not what, what Tennessee fans are used to seeing with, with Heupel. Yeah, it's it's certainly a challenge for them to have to drive the football. They, they can't just, you know, with, with, with Hendon and with Jalen, a five-yard penalty wasn't a big deal. I mean, Tennessee was penalized a ton a year ago, but it was never a storyline because second and 15 didn't matter. Tennessee right. was, could easily overcome that. Um, right now for Tennessee, third and short and fourth and short is a mess. What what do you see that Tennessee has needs to do? What's the answer? How do you go about correcting and fixing the, the short yardage woes? Now we I know I think we both you and I both agree you should punt the football in your own territory mm-hmm. uh, in that deal. But but just in general with the short yardage stuff, why is this team having such a hard time there? I mean, it feels like, and we've talked about this too, and it's not just third and fourth and short. It's sometimes after a chunk play where they just line up and shotgun and hand it to Jalen or Jabari or whoever it is in the backfield, and they go up the gut and they try to find something there. And most of the time it feels like, or at least almost since Virginia, it feels like that hasn't worked consistently. It feels like you're just running into the teeth of the defense, and it almost feels like a, I don't know, it feels like it kind of kills some momentum there when you have a big play and you go straight back to that. And it looks like that's the same exact thing on third and short and fourth and short, where they're just lining up and running up the middle and nobody's fooled because we've seen it for how many games now, seven games now. If, if we're expecting it as the people watching the game, you know opposing coaches uh, and opposing teams knows what's coming. And and Heupel is too smart in so many different areas to go for it on fourth and one at the 47, a long one. That was basically two with Dylan Sampson on the field with all the momentum squarely already on the Alabama sideline after they scored – 10 quick points to start the second half and, and get back in that ball game. So punt the football when you have one of the best punters in the, in the game. Um, and you got to figure out a way to go under center, to do something, uh, run it outside. If you have to run it outside, you just can't keep going up the middle and expecting something to work when they haven't really got a push. It feels like in forever. I think they're what three of 13 on fourth down and two of those were against Virginia on September 2nd. And here we are on October 20 whatever it is, first, second, still talking about it. I mean, they got to be better. they got to find a way to be better, get creative in those short yardage situations. Yeah, I think I think you – I mean, you got to have a wrinkle or two if you're going to go for it there, and then you've got to choose wisely on, on when you're going to go for it. Uh, Robert's got a question in the super chat here. I've answered this earlier, but I'm going to get your answer for it because uh, you're a smarter guy than me. Can you clarify the fair catch call? <laughs> I cannot, and uh, a text I woke up to this morning was, I don't even think that's the worst fair catch call in college football yesterday based on that Iowa punt return 
where the guy just kind of throws his arm out to the left, not really doing anything. And he takes it back for a, a touchdown with 90 seconds left. And uh, that changes the outcome of that game on that one call. So I, I don't know who called it on Tennessee's defense. They said T Lander. Was that right? Yeah. Number 22. Yeah, T. Lander up back was was credited with calling for a fair catch, and and it's probably on me for not even seeing a replay. But I, I thought I thought the same thing that I think everybody thought was when there's a fair catch, it doesn't matter if you try to return it or not, it's going to the twenty five. I didn't realize if it's a different guy calling the fair catch. If that's a problem, I don't, I don't know. I haven't even seen a replay. I haven't brushed up on the exact language of the rule. I I was as surprised as everybody else that that's a situation where the ball goes back to wherever the, it was caught, I guess, uh, after the touchback or after the fair catch. Yeah, and, and Michael's got a question or a comment here. He said, I, I blame the fair catch thing a little bit on Cam Seldon not being aware. He also tried to field a rolling punt that caused a fumble earlier in the year. He did make a horrible play there. Grant, I don't know how Cam Seldon's supposed to know that the up-back signaled no. for the catch, particularly if the up-back's not given a true – I mean, if, if it's this pointing at a sky kick, this is – this gesture's now a fair catch. I mean, right. I always thought, you know, you were allowed to shield. So so why is that not a fair catch if you're blocking the sun that way? I mean, I always thought you had to make it very obvious you were fair catching. But but apparently that's not the case, or at least that's not how it was called in the two plays we saw yesterday. And I don't know that I've ever seen that call th- those calls made like that. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen before. I mean, I've seen guys – forget they fair you know signal mm-hmm. for a fair catch the guy catches on a punt and takes two steps or three steps or whatever uh, but he gave a clear indication neither one of those were remotely clear to an indication of a fair catch and i i, I don't think it's on cam Seldon. i mean if if it was as hard for everybody else in the stadium to see that it happened i don't know how cam Seldon's going to be tracking the ball and catching the football and seeing that his up back like it's a, it's a, I think it's a very different situation from the play Cam Seldon made on the punt against, I don't even know which opponent it was earlier in the season when that happened. I, it's, I don't, I don't think it's on him. If, if T Lander signaled for a fair catch, then I guess it's on him. If he's trying to deke out a kick team, like you kind of fake out a punt return team by trying to act like you're catching the ball in a different area of the field, like I don't know. There's got to be some kind of explanation from somebody at some point this week on Tennessee's side of, of what they saw on that play or why it maybe happened the way it did or, or kind of what went wrong, I guess. Well, and that's the question is, are you going to get any explanation? And Trent wants to know this. If you're Danny White, what action would you take after the officiating last week? Josh Heupel clearly biting his tongue last night when asked about officiating by, by Austin Price, just with the, with the long pause, gritted his teeth a couple times and, exhaled and finally said is is that a long enough pause right you know which, i mean you I know think... it's interesting you know like like a lot of people a lot of fans like go scorch earth on them does that help you with officials moving down the road um should you even have to think that way or is it more grant about josh heupel's got to get his team past this game yesterday like you you got you're getting ready to play on the road again. You can't let Alabama beat you twice. I think it is going to be interesting to see how he addresses the questions on Monday about some officiating stuff. If he's just going to have a blanket statement, hey, we're moving on, give a little Belichick, we're on to Kentucky, or, or what he's going to do. I, I think it's a fascinating sort of deal on on how everybody handles the frustrations of, of officiating. And Josh has been frustrated about officiating for weeks now. Right. I mean, if I'm Josh – 
I don't think Josh has ever seeked out my PR advice. I would say we, we do the same thing we do every week. We review the tape. We see stuff we don't like. We turn it into the league, and that's it, and move on to Kentucky because, yeah, that was a rough loss, brutal loss, awful loss at Alabama, and whatever you want to say about officiating, but you got to move on because you got a winnable game against a tough team at Kentucky. You got UConn coming up in a couple of weeks. You go to Missouri three weeks from now. I mean, you could go into this Georgia game, November 18th at Neyland Stadium, eight and two, right? If you could take care of business, if you could turn the page, if you could find a little bit more consistency as a football team, if you could put together 60 minutes of good football, if you could kind of get back on track here a little bit and flush this game, there's still a ton left to play for. Um, you and, and you, if you're Josh, you 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 turn it into the league. You let your admin or whatever handle it. That whatever process is normal from week to week with calls you don't like or calls you felt you should have got or not should have got, uh, and move on because there's there's plenty to go. I don't think anything's going to change it. If you go scorched earth, you're going to get fined. I don't. Maybe that hurts you with certain officiating crews down the road. I don't think going public with it and doing anything crazy grandstanding is going to make any kind of difference moving forward. That's the problem because it's it's college officiating. I mean, Alabama had how many penalties? At Neyland last year, 17 for 130 or 14 or whatever. It was a crazy high number. So it's just kind of – just to me, it feels like that's what college football, college basketball, any college sport is. You're going to get tough whistles on the road. You're going to get more often than not. You're going to be up against it uh, in that kind of environment, and it kind of is what it is. All right, a couple of things here before we let you get it out the door. I want to hit basketball for a couple of quick things. Tennessee going to East Lansing to play Michigan State next Sunday. Uh, for uh, and, and what are we calling this? A scrimmage? Are we calling this a exhibition uh, game? What do we call this thing? Now? Charity exhibition. It's Sunday. It's uh three thirty. It's only gonna be on Big Ten Network. It's at the Breslin Center at Michigan State in East Lansing. It's open just like any other games open, just like any other exhibition games open. So it's uh Tennessee's number nine in the AP preseason top twenty five. Michigan State's number four. Uh, so it's a pretty big time matchup for October. Uh, for really kind of getting your feet wet and diving in here. Uh, to basketball season. Uh, Zakai Ziegler, he said last week it was his goal to play in that game. I don't know if he does. Uh, I think he's kind of would progressing at a – I would play him in that – I'd play him in a very limited uh, situation in that exhibition game just to kind of get it out of the way, just to be like, here he is, he's back on the floor, and, and roll with it. I, I would try to just kind of get it going as quickly as I could, as cautiously as, as, cautiously as I could, you know, in terms of, you know, being careful with him just a few minutes here, a few minutes there um, as the as the kind of the preseason leads up to. I mean, you really don't have anything till November 10th when they go to Wisconsin uh, for that Friday night game at the Cole Center in Madison. So I, I would kind of ramp him up towards that uh, based on whatever feedback he was giving me and, and the trainers and stuff. All right. Freddie DeLeon going to get a ton of work at the point guard. Is that is that kind of where they go if Zakai is done on the floor? That's that's what they did in Italy uh, in August, and I think that's what they'll continue to do. Um, Freddie's a really good basketball player, projected to be a first-round pick, according to ESPN and uh, the, the next NBA draft. I think that's how highly people think of him. So uh, that that is the good thing. They do have Freddie. They do have Santi. They don't have to rush Zakai back on the floor just to have a point guard. They've got options there. I think Freddie would be the first guy. All right, we'll have coverage of Tennessee basketball um, with uh, Grant Ramey, Rob Lewis. will get cranked up there. We'll have continued coverage of Tennessee football as well. Grant, appreciate the stop tonight and uh, get ready for plenty of um, – we'll see if Tennessee can move past. I know Josh Heupel is going to do his best. We'll see in the next 72 hours, 48 hours, how quickly everybody can move past yesterday and get ready for the Kentucky Wildcats. Appreciate it, my friend. 
It's never boring, uh, Hubbard. Appreciate yeah. it. See you. No, it is never boring. That's for sure. That's Grant Ramey joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Um, our good friends at Spivey Keegan Spivey. Be sure and check them out. Certainly want to thank them. Uh, their mission statement, problem, let us find a solution. They're Tennessee trial lawyers specializing in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. So if you're in the need for any of that, they've got over 80 years of combined experience at Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Um, they represented throughout state and federal courts in Northeast Tennessee. They've got a vast amount of trial experience practicing primarily in the Tri-Cities uh, in Sullivan County. Uh, but they can do a lot for you. That is Spivey King and Spivey LLP. If you're in need uh, for some legal help, you can give them a call and check them out for a free consultation at area code 423-245-4185. That is our good friends at Spivey King and Spivey. You can check them out online, Spivey King and Spivey LLP.com. Austin Price will join us in our final segment on the Rocky Top Rewind. That is coming up next right after this. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind, and uh, glad to have you along with us. Want to welcome now in Austin Price, who joins us here in the back half to close this thing out. Uh, Austin Grant was just on a minute ago talking about where kind of where Tennessee goes from here, and, and I think that's my question. Look, we're, we can, you know, media fans, everybody's going to talk about officiating. They're going to talk about this game. My question is, where do you think this team goes from here? after what happened to them yesterday with what's left on the schedule moving forward? Well, if I'm going off Bryson Eason, which is who I just uh, had out to tape this week's Ball Club Confidential, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's it, I, I don't worry about him. I mean, he's he's dialed in, said that they've had, a you know, several of them talk last night about, you know, you know, not letting, you know, Alabama beat him twice, getting right back up on the horse. They know kind of – they still have a lot to play for um, the rest of the way. Not all is lost. Um you know, and again, this is a, you know, a football program for some of these kids that, you know, when they first got here was in shambles or they were not very good. And so, you know, again, Tennessee has a chance to be six and two heading to November for only the second time um, since 2006. Uh, that was um, last year. So, I mean, like back to back seasons, they could do something they've not done in a while. So, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I think that you know they know kind of what's in front of them. So again, basing it off my conversation with him, I'm not super worried about it. But again, that's one person on the team. Got to kind of see where everybody is because you know if, if half of them you know struggle to get back up off the mat, then you know it could have an effect. Yeah, Josh Heupel's team six and one coming off a loss um, since he's been the head coach at, at Tennessee. So 
Um, he's done a good job with his team coming off losses. This one is this one is as painful as, as they get. Um, and, and you're not playing, no offense to UTSA, you're not coming off of a, a, a loss to Florida and taking on UTSA. This is a Kentucky team that's had a week off, Austin. This is a Kentucky team that struggles to throw the football, but they're good running the football. Uh, and Tennessee's played two really physical games the, the last two weeks. But they've rotated a lot of guys on the defensive front, which should help, right? I mean, they shouldn't have a bunch of guys just completely beat down because most guys are averaging 25, 30 snaps at most on the defensive line, correct? That's right. And in reality, now the, the linebackers didn't rotate as much yesterday, but they've done – and now they're at the corners. Um, but they, they've done a good job of rotating throughout the season at all positions. And so – uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not sure anybody's super beat up. Now, I, I continue to think the wide receivers are just thin, um, you know, and so, you know, Squirrel White had a nice game yesterday. I think his health is paramount for their success the rest of the year. I think it's important to keep him upright. I thought Ramel Keaton rebounded to a degree yesterday. Um, Dante Thornton just seems lost at this point. And, and then the sophomores are, or richer freshmen are kind of still trying to figure things out. Um, so, and the passing game's got to continue to come along. Tennessee's going to have to run the ball better against Kentucky. It's not the same as Alabama's front. So, like again, I think Tennessee has a chance to bounce back. And a lot of what Kentucky does well, Tennessee is strong at as well. So, Kentucky loves to run it. But what's Tennessee do well defensively? They stop the run. You know, right. He's not, you know, a great passing team. Leary struggled. Tennessee should be able to get after him when he does throw it. So, I mean, I'm not – you know, they've had two weeks to prepare. They've come, they're coming off the bye week. Tennessee's coming off two – extremely tough physical games against A&M and Alabama, but I would still argue that Kentucky is, or Tennessee is not a good matchup for Kentucky for what Kentucky does well. All right. Got a couple of questions here that, that I want to get into before we, we get out. We've taken a bunch of call or a bunch of comments tonight on the side and a bunch of questions. Cause quite frankly, I just felt like everybody needed to talk about it. Right. AP. Sure. Um, Michael Nelson has this one. And I think it's an interesting question because I think sometimes guys say stuff, they don't necessarily mean it how it sounds. You know, Elijah Herring with the comment last night, we just kind of thought Alabama was going to roll over. I don't really know that anybody on that in the Tennessee locker room thought Alabama was beat when they went into the locker, you know, that the game was over at 20 to 7. I'm not sure that's really what he was implying when he said that. But he wanted to know, Michael wants to know, what did Joe mean when he said some players didn't do their job and kind of took turns at that. And it's his job as a leader on, on the, as a quarterback to lead his team better. That's on him. What, what do you make of that? Do, do people make too much of, of that comment there? What, what do you think that meant? Yeah. I mean, you know, admittedly, you know, we talk in front of the public on the general's quarters every day. And I mean, there are some things that I say that get taken out of context or <laughs> sometimes I say things and it comes that I mean to mean it a certain way, but it comes out a different way. And I don't do a good job of, of conveying my thoughts. And so, you know, so I can only imagine as a 19 year old, you know, you know, Elijah Herring or a 22, 23 year old Joe Milton, you're naturally going to say some things, you know, and it come out the wrong way. You didn't really mean it that way, um, or it's just altogether confusing. So, um, you know, there was some stuff made, I guess, was it Aaron Beasley made the comment at Florida or whatever he said, and, you know, I don't think you really understood it. So much of those rooms are kind of hectic. There's a lot of people in there. you got photographers in there working and making noise. And and, and so sometimes, again, I, I'm not saying that that's the case here. I'm just saying, like, I, as a 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kid, 
with the lights on you and a lot of noise in the room and you're trying to hurry up and get done, like you could be easily confused by some things. Again, that's not, not be the case here. I'm just, you know, spitballing. Yeah. Um, but know, I mean, you know, obviously the obvious follow-up people have is, oh, there's dissension or there's issues. He's calling his teammates out. I, 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 that's not what I take from that. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but I didn't feel like that was. Well, everybody's grassy knoll hubs, you know, after a loss, everybody's got the grassy knoll, the conspiracies and, you know, I mean, you know, last year it was, you know, all kinds of stuff after the South Carolina game. I mean, that that's, that stuff happens every time they lose, you know, um, you know, listen, you know, the people that are, you know, I mean, I, again, I've seen too many posts on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, on the general's quarters or wherever else, you know, I'm not out on Josh Heupel uh, yet, but are, are you, in, are you drunk? Like uh, what, what is happening here? I mean, like, the dude was eight no a year ago going to November. This year he has a chance to be six and two. These things haven't been done since 2006. Hubs, I had just graduated college. You were in your 30s. I mean, like, you know, life was a much better place. Bill Martin had hair at the time, Tennessee's SID. I mean, like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, like stop, stop. You, you make yourself sound foolish. You know, again, they lose to Kentucky this weekend. That'll draw the ire of a ton, and 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 understandably so. This is a game Tennessee's you know routinely won over the years. This is a game you have to win. Kentucky, Missouri, you win these two games, you're going to be nine and three at worst, and then it all comes down to a November date at home with Georgia, and who knows where they are if Bowers is back or whatever. The next, the two of the next three weeks at Kentucky, at Missouri, they will tell the tale on whether you're seven and five, eight and four, nine and three or potentially having a chance to play for a 10 and two season against Georgia. Yeah. And first thing first is you, you gotta, you gotta get right and get going for, for Kentucky and get that right. And um, Floyd's Floyd's got a couple of questions here and I'm going to combine this with um, another question that we had up here from Austin. A Austin a wants to know um, what do you got to do? What does Tennessee got to do to improve short yardage? Uh, and Floyd wants to know, when there's 10 in the box like Alabama had, does Tennessee not have the option to get out of that play? Does Joe have the option to get to get out of that? I don't have an answer for what Joe has or doesn't have on fourth and short and short yardage plays there. In terms of fixing the short yardage stuff, Austin, I think you got to be more creative, right? You do. And, again, I think, you know, a year ago you could get under center could hand it to a Princeton fan or whatever. This year, they've not really got under center. I think they've had the one under center play. They handed it on the end around to Brew. It got a first down. They're what, one of six on on fourth one, fourth and one or whatever on the year, whatever your stat you seen last night. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it it's not good enough. This offensive line's not good Jerome Carbon. It doesn't have Darnell Wright. Um, they're not as good in short yardage, it appears. Again, through you know, just based off what we've seen, they their inability to pick up third and one, fourth and one, to extend drives, to close out games, those type of things are things you have to do in this league. There are things you may have to do Saturday at Kentucky to close it out. And um, you know, this is something that is a real uh, a real bugaboo. I, I'll never understand. I'm, I'm going to ask Hype tomorrow. Have you looked at doing the tush push? Everybody else in college football has, or or, or, or pro football, and and Joe's six five and two thirty five. You know. I, I guess, you know, whether it's as creative as spreading them out and doing some different things, or if it's just as simple as, you know, putting him under center and, and having, you know, a couple of big guys get behind him and just shove him forward 
Tennessee's got to figure out a way to convert uh, third and one, fourth and ones, because, you know, these are key things that right now are hurting this football team, especially if you're going to go for it on fourth and one on your side of the 50 on the road. All right. Two, a couple other questions here. We're going to get out the door here at the top of the hour. Tony wants to know, does Jackson Ross have the option to run? It looks like he could have picked up a first down for sure on one of those punts. Do you know if he has the option to run? I don't think he has that option to call that himself. I think that's going to be a call from the sideline. Listen, Britain, Britain Colquitt, you know, he, he decided to, to throw it in 2005, and that was not super well received. Like, if Jackson Ross took off running and didn't make it, what would Tennessee fans be losing? I mean, Eckler would be over there yanking his hair out. Heupel, same thing, and all the Tennessee fans would lose their minds. The kid literally had one of the best punting days, if not the best punting day, in Tennessee football history on Saturday. He, he looked like Ray and God, Ray Guy reincarnate out there. And so he is a weapon. Once he got past the jitters of the game against Virginia, he has been ridiculous. And so you let Jackson Ross do what Jackson Ross does, which is the boot of his right foot, his left foot. I mean, I'm telling you, man, that guy has been spectacular. Yeah, he has. By the way, how good was he yesterday? Uh, he his His average yesterday was 53 yards. Which is a single game record. There you go. Uh, that he broke. Uh, he broke a Colquitt family record from 82, 83. Um, is when you're talking about there. So uh, he, he had a terrific. Cooley McKinstry never found the ball. He never got comfortable trying to field the punt because of the way it was turning over or whatever. So uh, he was terrific without a doubt. And he's been great as you mentioned, Austin. Um, really since those first three punts, he settled in. Uh, early part of his first home game after that first punt, and he was good to go from there. Jason Brown wants to know, is Joe seeing the field well? Uh, do we have receivers running open like we had the last couple of years? No, we don't. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Uh, you know, Tennessee's not been able to get separation with the receivers. I'm not saying Joe's uh, seeing the field perfectly. I'm just saying, like, it, it's not like it was a year ago where guys were just running wide open, or even Joe's first couple of starts back in 21. Like, you know, they just don't have anybody running wide open. And, uh, you know, I thought Joe, you know, threw it pretty well yesterday. Was he perfect? No. But, I mean, I mean, you know, could he put a little more touch on the ball to, to Jacob Warren? I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a touchdown. If he puts any kind of touch on it at all or throws it down just a touch. I mean, you know, when 6'7", Jacob Warren can't get to it. I mean, I mean, just pretty high. And, of course, he threw it like a, a, a rocket. Um, you know, but, I mean, at the same time, like he took a great touch pass to McAllen Castles down there in the first half. And then, you know, again, the second half started with them backed up against the, you know, their goal line, three runs and a punt. And they just kind of never got going, never got it flipped around. And um, again, Joe's still looking for his first 300 yard game of his career. And, you know, at some point he's going to have to pull one of those off. Yeah. And, and look, if you just, I mean, I've said this to multiple people today, if you just said going into the game on Friday, Austin, if I just said, Hey, Joe's going to complete 69% of his throws. He's going to throw for right at 270 yards, no interceptions, and he's going to throw two touchdown passes. Where, where would you have given Tennessee's opportunities to win the game? Yeah, I, I would have told you that if they were losing, it was going to be my less than 14. <laughs> and 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 he also was the leading rusher. Now, the flip side of that is if on Friday I would have said, hey, Austin, Tennessee is going to turn it over. Uh, I won't call the last turnover on downs because Tennessee was whatever on fourth down there, but Tennessee is going to turn it over essentially three times, twice on downs and then one on the fumble in their own territory 
Saturday in Tuscaloosa, what would you give in Tennessee's chances of winning? Slim to none. Yeah, and that's that. That's what happened, and and that's what killed Tennessee in, in this game was those three turnovers. Because a turnover on downs, there's the same thing as a fumble, um, giving you a short field, and and that's what happened there. So, um, as we wrap it up here, I want to thank everybody for all their questions and comments tonight. Again, I, I felt like this was the best way to do it. I didn't think anybody necessarily was interested in hearing a scouting report on Kentucky tonight or anything else. Just wanted to to kind of talk ball and kind of talk through what happened yesterday afternoon. As the page gets turned, Austin, two things. One, how do you think Josh Heupel handles the the official question, the officiating questions tomorrow? Uh, is this a is this a Belichick we're on to Kentucky situation? Uh, and two, um, how you mentioned Bryson Easton, you think that that this team's going to be able to turn the page? How big of a challenge is this to turn the page? Is it easier for players to do than fans want to give them credit? That doesn't mean players don't care. I don't, I'm not suggesting that. But is it easier for the player to move on to the next game as opposed to fans? Uh, yes, and players do care. Bryson even said that oh, during yeah. the episode. Um, how much you know? It just it hurt him yesterday, but he's that much more you know amped and ready to get to Saturday, like to wash the taste out of his mouth, to so go out there and knock some heads, and and just you know get out there and and, and play ball. And so um, I think that that's simple, simple, easy, and. Uh, you never know. I may, I may, I may ask Heifel again. You know, once you watch the film, did you feel like it was one sided and just let him stare at me again? <laughs> I give him credit. He had a lot he wanted to say there, and he, well, he and was, that was the point. He, he could do one of two ways. He could go scorched in trouble. He could go scorched earth, right? Or he could handle it like he did and still get his point across that you know the officiating was was bad. You know, um, so you know it. it you know, I'm sure when they went back, and I, I don't know how many times, how many, how many plays did they turn into the league office? Because it's normally, you know, what seven or eight. I bet you it was double that. Because I mean, it was atrocious. Atrocious. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say, or or if you're at the point where you say, hey, it doesn't really matter anyway. How many of these are we really going to turn in? I mean, that's what we don't know. I mean, somebody asked earlier on this uh, about officials being, you know, evaluated after every game. The league office says they are. We have no idea what that evaluation looks like because there's not any transparency uh, with, with any kind of that stuff from the league office. Oh, nothing ever happens to these guys. I mean, are you kidding me? Right. That's the way it's been for years, for, for sure. So it's on to Kentucky uh, for Tennessee. They start their preparations on that um, coming up tomorrow, and then they'll kick them in high gear on Tuesday. Josh Heupel will meet the media at noon. We've got full coverage of Tennessee's baseball scrimmage from Eric Kane on the front page right now. 10 things I think I learned is up. Grant's got all the snap count stuff. We've got the day after up. Rob will have the 321 tomorrow. And then we're right back in it with all the press conference coverage and everything from Josh Heupel. We'll have mm-hmm. um, the two minute drill. We'll have everything else going on, right, AB? Who knows? Some midweek recruiting news. You know? Uh, yeah. Well, we'll have, tra- we'll have trail tidbits, but there could be some recruiting news on top of that, right? That's correct. Where's Max and a wink when you drop nuggets like that on this thing? And by the way, where's your Christmas tree? Catherine failed this weekend. <sighs> Buddy, well, she did tell me she'd put it up if I got it down, and I just didn't get it oh, down. Oh, so you failed. It was really me failing. Okay. Well, at least you own that one honestly. All right. That's going to do it. She failed very little, pal. I mean, like, she really does. Like, you know, she's by far the harder. Of the, she's tougher than I am. She's much. She's got a much better work <laughs> ethic than I do, and, 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 and just generally a, a better overall. 
And uh, I understand we're all in that same category with our spouses. All right. Again, thanks to our good friends at Spivey King and Spivey LLP for their continued sponsorship of the Rocky Top Rewind. Thank you for joining us tonight here at VolQuest.com on the Rocky Top Rewind on our YouTube channel. Be sure and hit the like button. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, pass along to all your friends, and be sure and check us out on the General's Quarters and at VolQuest.com. For Grant Ramey, who joined me earlier, Austin Price, uh, for always joining us, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for being a part of the Rocky Top Rewind. Have a great night, everybody.